Psalm 103 is where we'll be, and we'll cover the first uh, 12 verses um, this morning. Uh, The question I have this morning is, what does it mean to be blessed? What does that mean? Um, You've probably, if you grew up in the South, you've probably heard this word a lot. When someone sneezes, we say what? Bless you, right? We say bless you. Before we eat food, we say someone say the blessing, right? Which doesn't fully makes sense because we have incredible food here in the South, and I think God has blessed it perfectly, um, specifically barbecue. Um, but and if you're from the western part of the state, we'll teach you what that means here after the service. Um, before we gossip, what do we say? We say, bless their heart, right? Because that covers all gossiping, um, apparently, in the South. And in Christian culture, we have bumper stickers that say, be blessed, or we might end the email with have a blessed day. Even in hip hop culture, it shows up a lot. Um, we've seen even Big Sean earlier this year have a song entitled Blessings, right? Way up I feel blessed, right? That's, that's his song. Um, I know you were shocked that I know that song. Um, and what's that song about? Well, blessings for Big Sean and Kanye and Drake, everybody that's on there, I had to look down at that one, I'll be honest, I didn't, couldn't remember. Um, everybody talks about, okay, that's about fame and finances and money and all the things that go along with it, and so that's what it means to be blessed. And so some of us would say, okay, that's what it means to be blessed, it means to have a bunch of stuff. Um, we do it with our kids, do we not? And we, when, our, when, uh, uh, when we hear on the news that a child was injured or, um, or sick, we say, Oh man, our kids aren't injured or sick. Oh, we're so blessed. Uh, maybe you've been out at a dinner party and you meet someone else's wife, and maybe she's you know a handful, and you go, "Okay, I'm I'm blessed to have my wife." Or maybe you know, ladies, you've been around some guy, you go, "Man, I'm blessed to have my husband." And so it, it, it's typically an avoidance of something that we don't want, or it's a gain that we have, whether it be money or whether it be fame or whether it be power, whatever it is, uh, this is typically what we do when we describe what a blessing is. But maybe what I want to do this morning is pose the idea that perhaps blessings are something more than just those things. Maybe we should raise the standard of what a real blessing is. And so this morning, My goal is for you to leave here not with a limited view of blessings, but a a wonderful biblical view of blessings that they all come from God. In other words, I don't want us to leave here with a shallow view of what blessings are. And so we have to do some work here to understand what blessings are. And so first of all, for starters, having a right view of blessings comes from having a high view of God. If you have a low view of God, you're going to have a low view of what blessings are. So in other words, your view of God is shown in how you define what blessings are. So if you have a shallow view of what blessings are, then your view of God is likely shallow. You define blessings based on how you define God. Because the most important thing about you is how you view God, and how you view God affects everything else, particularly with the way that we identify with what blessings are. So we have to start here this morning 
in the text that we have before us in Psalm 103. And let's start to read with, if you will, in verse 1. He says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now this is a psalm of King David. David was a king, but he was also a musician. And this is something to keep in mind that this um, psalm, all psalms, are to be sung. And when they were read through uh, the nation of Israel, they would have read these aloud. And they would have really sang these together like we sang the choruses early this morning. And David was a musician who was a king. And he was a man after God's own heart. That's what scripture calls David. And David is a man who would have gone from nothing to being the king of Israel. And he wrote most of the Psalms that we have. Now, what is interesting about this particular Psalm is that David, what David says at the beginning of the Psalm, he says, bless the Lord. In other other words, we can in us bless the God of the universe. That's what he's saying. We can bless God. So this should be a dead giveaway that blessings have to be more than material and earthly possessions. All right? Because what is it that we could give God? What is it? If we have a shallow view of what blessings are, it's imperative that we understand what bless the Lord means. Because my question is, with what? What would you, what can we bless the Lord with? We can't surprise him with anything. He doesn't need our money. He doesn't care about our earthly possessions or our earthly positions. It's not about our relationships. He's not going to... Um, be blessed by the things that we have. So what is it that we bless the Lord with? Well, let me tell you uh, something I think might help. Um, one of, I think, the most hilarious holidays is um, Father's Day. And um, it frustrated with me with, when I grew up because um, I think my dad, my dad's here this morning, he has a lot of things. And so he has a lot of hunting things, a lot of fishing things, um, a lot of golf stuff. So I'm, I've always like, what do I get my dad for Father's Day? Like, what am I supposed to get him? And so I would go, okay. Um, then God blessed the world with something called the gift card. And that is a really good thing. Um, because when I became a dad, um, I was okay with getting gifts. But again, what, am I, what do my boys know about me that they would be able to get me something that I would take? And so, but the older I get, it's not about getting gifts at all. Because when I was a kid, I was like, okay, I get one more birthday when I have children. That's Father's Day. That's how I thought about Father's Day. I get, that's like one more birthday. And now the way I view Father's Day is take me out and let me have a ginormous bacon cheeseburger and let me sleep for the rest of the day. And happy Father's Day. That's all I care about. And that's, that's all I care about now. now. Now, here's the thing. Even later, and even as I look ahead, and I look at other fathers, and even I look at my own father, it's not about the gifts at all. It's more about, hey, I hope my relationship with my boys when I'm 36 years old is intact. And they can call me and say, Dad, I've stopped everything in my life to give you a call and just tell you that I love you, and I'm glad that you're my father. Now, what will matter to me more in the end? Is it... 
Oh, I hope they send me a gift. I hope they give me a gift card to Home Depot. Or is it the call? Or is it the relationship? Or is it the chance to just us to communicate in a way that we can be transparent and loving to each other? Well, obviously, it's the, it's the relationship that I want with my boys. And so when we talk about blessing the Lord, we're not talking about just giving him earthly possessions and earthly gifts. We're talking about adoring him, adoring him for who he is. And that is what he cares about. In fact, that is why we were created so that we might live to adore him and to worship him and to enjoy him forever. And this is what King David is going to go on to say in verse two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now, this is the only place this phrase, forget not all his benefits, is mentioned in all of Scripture. And then what David's going to do is he's going to take this idea of the benefits of knowing God and he's going to actually unpack and list out these benefits of knowing God. Now, I want you, before we do that, to remember the time this was written. Uh, This was written uh, in the Old Covenant era, which means people were under the old law. And so the, the way that they understood right relationship with God is, if I do this for God, then God will do this for me. And last week, we even saw this in Psalm 1. What happens to the man of God? The man of God, he prospers in all that he does. And so this idea of if I do this for God, then God will do this for me was deeply rooted in the mentality of the people in which David is writing to. Now, here's what's interesting about this. And we read this this psalm, uh, David is not interested at all in this type of language. It's not about how he is going to prosper. When he talks about benefits, it's all about the character of God. And so when we read it, we read it through the lenses of the, of the gospel that Jesus died in our place. And when Jesus, when God deals with us, he doesn't do it through the law. He does it through Christ. And so when we think about benefits, we have to apply these benefits through the lenses of the gospel. And David is a man who obviously had prospered in all earthly things, but he doesn't talk about them when he talks about benefits. He talks about the character of God, which is absolutely the reason why we've chosen this series for what it is. Be still and know that he is God. But here's what David begins to unpack. And here's what I want you to see. Although David didn't know Christ at this point. He knew of relationship with God. It's obvious that David knew that there was something greater on the horizon. Look in verse three. He says in verse two, bless the Lord on my soul and forget not all of his benefits. Verse three, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What is the first benefit that David lists? He says, who forgives all your iniquity. David is a man who would have experienced 
forgiveness directly from God. Earlier in the Psalms, in fact, we see David write a psalm of repentance to the Lord. And it's a time that he would have sinned against God in multiple ways. He would have stalked a woman named Bathsheba. He would have assaulted her and impregnated her and then had her husband murdered. And then he covered it up. And it wasn't until Nathaniel later um, confronted him that he came clean. And so you have here in Psalm 51, David reflects on this time by which he repents to God. Now I want you to see what David said. This is a guy who's in scripture called the man after God's own heart. But when you see all these things, he's a liar, he's a murderer, and he's a pervert. So how in the world is he the man after God's own heart? Well, it's because this is the place that God brings him. He knows God's forgiveness and he is a recipient of God's grace and forgiveness and mercy. And this is what you see in Psalm 51 verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and have done what is evil in your sight. You see David's heart? He recognizes I've offended God here so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and inward in being and you teach me wisdom and the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David realized that his sin was offensive to God. He realized that there was no record of debt that God would have on him and that he would be restored. Now God has destroyed people in the old under the old covenant for doing less than what David did, but what did David get? He got grace. And this is why David when he writes in Psalm 103, he says, "Forget not his benefits. Remember that you have a God who forgives all of your iniquities, all of your sins. And he even takes it further in verse 3 of Psalm 103. He says, he heals all your diseases. Now, obviously, God can heal us physically and when it's a part of his sovereign plan. But according to the context, this is more about the condition of our heart. Sin brings physical disease and sin brings spiritual diseases in our heart. When we are born um, because of Adam's sin, we are born in sin. Just like what David said in Psalm 51. He recognized, in my mother's womb, when my mother conceived me, I was born in sin because of the curse of Adam. So we're born fractured. And our minds are, are fractured. Our minds are bent toward sin. 
But what happens when Jesus forgives us? Does that mean that we're perfect? Absolutely not. It means that we're still broken and we have parts of our lives that need to be healed. Now, I didn't recognize this until, um, as, this really hit me hard the first year that we got, Jess and I got married. Um, our first year of marriage was, was tough. And I had been a believer since my preteen years. Um, and I met Jessica uh, about a year after she became a believer. So here I am, I've been a believer for a long time. I'm a veteran, right? And I meet this girl who just becomes a believer and um, I just finished a Bible degree and Jess and I start dating and you know, she has a lot of questions about the Bible and I have a Bible degree, right? So I can help her out with that. Help her with that, you know, I know the Bible pretty well. Um, I'm like, you know, I actually got a B in systematic theology. This marriage is going to work great. Um, and even if I'm wrong, she's not going to know the difference. She's a new believer. I mean, so it's like, you know. And so by God's grace, uh, we got married. And I went into marriage believing that I had all the right answers. I mean, I did take a marriage and family class in, in seminary. And so I'm practically a scholar at it, obviously. And so... I thought that when I got married, but months later, here we are in biblical counseling. And so then again, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, well, you know, she's a new believer, and uh, I've been a believer for all this time. God's already worked on me the way that he wants to, and we're really here for her. Um, you know, I'm here to support her and let her get some good counseling. And, um, and so I'm sitting there in a room with my wife, and he, literally, this is what the counselor does, all right? He says, Jess, you seem like a nice lady. That's all he said to her the whole time. Ben, what's wrong with you? What's going on with you? Why is your face getting red? Are you angry? Are you upset? No, I'm fine. Really, you seem angry. No, I'm not angry. And he starts asking me all these questions. He says, "Um, you know, you're kind of like a light switch, right? You're on and off, on and off. How does anybody keep up with you? And then I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, Ben... You're in your early 20s and no one has yet told you that you're kind of a weirdo? That's what he said. I'm like, what kind of counselor is this? Like, did you, did you pay this guy? Like, what, what? And then he just starts going, at, just going after my heart and the way I respond to God, the way I respond to others, how I am. And then he begins to build this framework of the gospel around me and saying, man, this is, he goes, you know, you're kind of a coward, right? Like he goes, I mean, and we're really, we're go, he's going after these heart, and we, we leave. And I'm like, I felt like, okay, I've known these things about me, but I didn't think people realized them about me, right? And then Jess and I are in the car. I'm like, You've known these things about me that he said? And she says, yes. It's like, why did you marry me? Don't you realize how screwed up? I am like, what? what? She says, oh, I love you. I'm like, oh, you love me. You know, it's just, and I'm just, you know, I'm breaking down because I'm realizing, man, these are the things that are going on in my life. I still have a million blind spots that I, I was not even aware of in my life, or I just thought they were hidden. But what happens is this. God, when he forgave me in my preteen years, he forgave me and blotted out all of my sins. But listen, I'm still broken. Uh, There's still parts of me that need to be restored back to the gospel. And this is something called sanctification. 
It's where he finishes the work that he started in you and he begins to grow you. He begins to heal all of your diseases and it's this beautiful thing. God heals our diseases like a surgeon would. He cuts us open and he reveals sin in our, that's in our lives and he exposes them so that we might be healed. You ever meet a, a believer, someone who's been a believer for a long time and they're like, man, I'm still struggling in this area of my life. And man, I, I feel like my heart is so wicked now because I'm just realizing, man, that, that one conversation I had, how arrogant and prideful I was. And man, I gossiped, the other, I lied the other day. I, I don't even realize that I, I lied this way. What, what's happening there? Well, you shouldn't be discouraged. It's actually God's grace that he's revealing those things to you. And you're just w- realizing that he's not finished with you. That he's finishing the work that he started with you and he's consistently bringing these things to a head. Now, if you're walking in this, in this bravado of like, I've got no blind spots, I've got everything figured out, okay, I could do my quiet time a little bit more, but I'm fine. Like, that's where you need to be worried. Like, that, that's the point where perhaps maybe you're not even a believer. Because once you're a believer, he's going to start revealing things to your heart. And you're going to start seeing the brokenness in your life and your need, your constant need to walk in repentance and healing. And it's a beautiful thing because you experience God's grace every day. And he says in verse 5, this is how he restores us. He says, he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. An eagle is an emblem of strength and youthful endurance. It's always wondered, why, like, why is it our national emblem? Like, why is an eagle, how, how strong is an eagle? Like, I, I remember um, the first school I played uh, basketball on the team, and our, our logo, our mascot was the eagle. And I was just like, oh, I'm a wimpy bird. Like, in my mind, that's what I thought it was. But, like, have you ever, like, looked on YouTube and, like, looked at eagles and watched them, like, kill other animals. It's incredible. Have you ever, like an eagle can take out a deer. Did you know that? Like, there's, there's a video where there's a deer. He's just like, it, it's, he's got like little, horn, I mean like everything. Like it's not some Bambi deer. He's like a full blown like deer. And like he, um, so you can tell I don't hunt, right? Um, and so he, um, this, this eagle just comes out of nowhere. I mean, and just shreds him. And I'm like, okay, an eagle's pretty strong, right? And this is, the, this is the, the language that he uses when he talks about the strength that we have in Christ. He's saying it can be restored to this youthful strength. Remember the, when you first became a believer in Christ, how excited you were and how passionate you were about the gospel and about his word. He's saying, yeah, I can restore you back to that place. Outside of Christianity, name, name one other thing that we can, we can be restored of that's not a medication. Like, no, he can restore you. And bring you back to that place of that youthful strength that you have in Christ. If you ever find a, an older believer in Christ, it's such a joy because although they might have their health failing, they're still strong in Christ. And they still see their need to love him more. And so David uses this metaphor because he's reminding us that our sin cannot defeat us. We can be restored to our youthful love for God. Now, this is not only true for David personally, but he also knows this about, this is a part of God and his character. 
And what David's going to do next in these first six verses, and I won't have time to work through every single verse, but he's thinking about how God's faithfulness has been throughout all of Israel's history. Look in verse six. Now this is, again, I want you to think about, David knows there is something more to come. Verse six. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, which is to scorn, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. David is remembering when Moses, a little shepherd boy, went to the most powerful leader in the world and commanded him to let the Israelites out of oppression. Moses then attempted to lead the Israelites to the wilderness, to a promised land for them to dwell. But the Lord then made a covenant on Mount Sinai with Moses that they would, it would be a works covenant where people would realize how sinful they were, thus they're seeing their need for a savior. But before this covenant was given to Moses, for him to deliver to the people of Israel. I want you to see what he said because it's, gonna, it's going to correlate exactly to what David says here in Psalm 103. In Exodus 34, this is what the Lord said to Moses. He's, the Lord descended, verse 5, in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed in the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and the Lord proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the, and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and whispered, and he, is, and he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O oh Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin. And take us from your inheritance. What are the similarities you see between Psalm 103 and Exodus 34? He sees God's steadfast love even for a stiff-necked people. God is slow to anger even for a stiff-necked people. He's faithful even for a stiff-necked people. He is forgiving even for a stiff-necked people. And David knew this story and he saw God do this from generation to generation. And how were people's sins forgiven then in the old covenant? It was about sacrifices and sacrifices. People later would travel for miles and miles and miles to come to Jerusalem on the, on the, day, um, on, on, on the day of atonement and bring sacrifices before the Lord. And that is how their sins were forgiven. And that's how their sins were uh, not were forgotten. And that is how it happened. 
But what would you see in Psalm 103? I, I really believe that David saw something more. What does he say in verse 10? He says in Psalm 103, he says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. How did God deal with people under the old? Well, he dealt with his people through the old covenant, through the law. How does he deal with us now? He deals with us through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Paul says it well in Ephesians 1 verse 3. This is one of the most beautiful examples I can give you this morning of the grace that God has given us. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Even as he chose in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for adoption as a son through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has blessed in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the redemption of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the works of him works all things according to the counsel of his will so that we who are the first hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. In him you also heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. How does God deal with us today? How are our sins forgiven? Jesus Christ died in our place. How does that happen? Well, Ephesians, Paul says it here. He says, we were chosen. He looked over the earth and he saw all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, but by his grace, he saved us. What a wonderful joy this is. And it says that he has adopted us. When you think about adoption today, when Americans and we adopt children, we often get a catalog with DNA information and family background and how successful is the father, how smart is the mother, how cute is the kid. And we go through it and we look up, okay, he, you know, here's the best looking one. This is not how God chose us. This is not how God adopted us. He didn't say, that's the right pick. That's the cute one. That's the smart one. No. He saw all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he, by his grace, chose us out of his love. It says, in his love, he predestined us. He chose us out of his love. We were adopted because of what Jesus did on the cross. We were when we are adopted, he says that we are sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, which means we will have our inheritance one day with him. And what is our inheritance? To enjoy him forever, a.k.a. bless the Lord. So how do we bless the Lord? 
How, how are we blessed by the Lord? He dies in our place. He adopts us and calls us sons and daughters. He seals us with the promise of the Holy Spirit until we receive our inheritance in him. Now this is true about what David says. Notice what, I'm gonna read it again. Psalm 103, verse 10. He does not deal with us according to our sin nor repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is the steadfast love toward those who fear him as far as from the east and the west as as far as he remove our transgressions from us this is what david is reflecting on it's the very first thing he lists when he talks about the benefits of knowing him forgiveness how are we forgiven today through the finished work of christ so this morning if you've been adopted by god it means jesus has died in your place and you are blessed this morning if Jesus has died in your place, you've been adopted by the creator of the universe, you are as blessed as you could ever be. So much that where if you could leave this room today and get out in your car and get into an accident and you could be paralyzed or in a coma for the rest of your life, you would still be blessed if you're adopted by Christ. Because that's all that matters in the end. That's what it means to be blessed, is to be bought with a price by your creator. And so when we feel entitled to things, we have to, we have to come back to this place. When we think we deserve something, when we think something that happened to us that was unjust, we absolutely have a God who sympathizes with us with all of our weaknesses Even biblically speaking, as believers in Christ, we're to weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. I absolutely believe that. However, there's a heart place that we must, there's a place we must go in all of our hearts to where we go, I am blessed because of what Christ has done on the cross, and that is enough. So we must remind ourselves that everything given to us outside of hell. It's just the grace of God that is lavished upon us. And anything outside of the sacrificial death of Christ that he has given you is just an added bonus that we've never deserved in the first place. Now, why do I tell you that this morning? Well, the way that David describes benefits is this. He describes the character of God. How does he describe the character of God? His forgiveness. How do we achieve forgiveness this morning through the finished work of Christ? So that we say this timeless principle this morning that David said hundreds of years before Christ came. He says, forget not his benefits. I will tell you this morning, forget not his benefits. You get to live in light of the cross. You get to live in a world that John says you'll overcome. You get to fight sin that should bring you to the grave. You actually get to overcome sin and you get to fight sin for the rest of your life. And you know that it's not a big deal because you wait a better day and you'll be in glory with him forever. And I think this gets lost in Southern culture. Because when we think about salvation, it's often 
Well, there's two options. Heaven or hell, who wants to go to hell? No one's going to raise their hand. Who wants to go to heaven? I'll go to heaven. And we think that's what it means to be a Christian. Like being a Christian is just about avoiding hell. But listen, heaven is not a place for people who are afraid of hell. Heaven is a place for people who love Jesus. Heaven's a place for when we enjoy him forever. So Christianity is not about this idea of let me get out of hell. No, it's about enjoying him. And guess what? You can do that now. But it requires us to meditate on the character of God. How do we meditate on the character of God? We have to begin as believers in Christ with the gospel. What did he do for us? He died for you. He adopted you. And he sealed you with the promise of the Holy Spirit. And you'll receive your inheritance one day. We will be in glory with him forever. And that, my friend, is enough. That is true joy. And that is where true joy is found. So this morning, I just want to tell you, if you're a believer in Christ you're blessed. You're blessed. You don't have to earn his favor. Your sins are forgiven, but he doesn't stop there with you. He heals your diseases. He's constantly at work in your life. And scripture promises us that you will overcome the world. And perhaps if you're not a believer this morning, You are enjoying the blessings that this world has to offer, but they will never be enough. So I plead with you this morning, if you're not a believer, repent and believe the gospel because it is your only hope and that is where you will only, that is where joy is found. And this morning, if you don't feel blessed, if you're a believer in Christ and you don't feel feel blessed, remind yourself of what Christ has done. He's died in your place. And he does not, has nothing else to prove to us. He loves us. Let's remember his benefits this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. That as far as from the east, as from the west, you remove our transgressions. You blot out our iniquities. You heal our diseases. And you finish the work that you started in us. And Lord, help us reflect on the gospel this morning remember what you have done for us so that we don't feel entitled we don't feel prideful we don't feel like you owe us something lord you owe us nothing because you've already given us everything and that is jesus that is your only son and so god i pray that we would boast in you this morning and for those in this room who do not know you would you by your spirit open their eyes to the gospel and help them to repent and believe give them the faith to trust you as their only hope. In Jesus' good name, amen.